4: This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
5: And can I start with a bit of a reminder to people who might be heading out doing some shopping today or doing some business today in some of our busier county towns that pay parking is being reinstated across three county towns from today. Of course, pay, pay parking went during COVID times. So if you are going to be in Bandon, in Mallow or in Kinsale, be aware Resumption of parking charges and therefore both on street and in Cork County Council managed car parks. Bandon and Kinsale remain unchanged for the arrangements that were in place before March of 2020 when they decided to get rid of pay parking. Mallow, however, there are some amendments for a trial period of six months which will be reviewed at the end of the uh, year. So you need to check where you're parking in Mallow as to whether parking charges are back in or not. And the maximum stay time limits across all the county towns, none of them have changed and they continue to be enforced. So just be careful because people get used to have got very much got used to the idea of pulling up in their car. Parking, going about and doing their business, and coming back, and you know, forgetting completely about having to pay for parking. So it's going to be a, people getting into the habit of it because you certainly don't want to come back and find a parking ticket on your car because it can make your trip to the shops rather expensive indeed. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And talking about rather expensive, everybody's starting to struggle. I think at the moment the cost of living uh, crisis continues to escalate and. Reading in the papers today, senior ministers now are discussing a new range of budget measures and they're promising that they're aimed at reducing the financial burden on all households. Central to high level discussions though, this is welcomed news. Their plans to extend what at the time was an unprecedented €200 electricity uh, credit taken off our bills in recent months and seemingly part of the budget negotiations will be that the government are going to do that again. They're going to give another €200 off people's electricity bills but it won't be until into the new year. So probably around the same time we got the €200 off our electricity bills this year probably the same thing will happen next year. Sort of that bill that comes in early in the new year. It was March I think this year when I got it taken off my uh, bill but it would be ideally if it came in for the one over the Christmas, you know, sort of the December-January bill. It's always probably the highest bill of every household. So seemingly that is central to the negotiations that are going on. And the move is among a series of budget decisions that are being discussed by government leaders and senior ministers. And of course, we still have all of the opposition parties calling for an emergency budget and that we need to have a budget now rather than being asked to wait until October. The Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue, is considering reintroducing the electricity credit again next, uh, uh, next win- winter uh, and he's accepting that concerns are deepening within government over the impact of what is now record levels of inflation. Pascal Donoghue told colleagues he wants to focus his budget decisions on one off measures such as things like that, the electricity credit, and maybe giving additional bumper payments on the fuel allowance again they did that this year and he wants to go down that route rather than policies that would have to be unwound later because they're always the more difficult ones if they give a cohort of people something extra every week and then suddenly inflation starts to settle and then they have to go back and say well we're taking that back from you that never goes down too well so he's looking at whatever They are considering doing to help all families that are struggling. There will be one off measures. Government officials are putting in place plans to ensure that budget measures can be introduced this year rather than waiting until 2023. We know that always happens with the budget. The budget gets announced in October every year, but it's the budget for the following year. And when Pascal Donoghue gets up to speak in October Uh, He'll be talking about budget 2023 uh, and and normally certainly for any increases that people get they have to wait until January. Sometimes some of those social welfare increases didn't kick in until uh, March Uh, but they're definitely saying that's not going to happen this year. Uh, Income tax changes though would not be introduced before the new year but they are saying that any increases they give to for example social welfare payments they could be implemented they say within the coming months. However, the introduction of legislation that would have to be fast tracked by the doll to ensure that the public could benefit from the uh, measures. But, you know, hang on a tick now, you, you would, you'd point out to the government, they're always able to introduce emergency and fast track legislation on previous budgets when petrol was to go up from midnight that night or cigarettes or the price of a pint and they would put in emergency, fast-track, not emergency, but fast-track legislation so that from midnight on the night of the budget, the increases would kick in on anything we were paying out but increases that people were to receive never came until the following year. So, it is possible to do, to have that fast-tracked. And there is also talk of holding the budget in September. This I, suggestion got floated earlier this week, so it does look like the government is giving serious consideration to this and certainly we'd rhyme of the Green Party speaking earlier this week and he said he would be very much in favour of bringing the budget back by a month rather than October bring it back to sometime in September and by doing that that would give the government more time to pass legislation which would underpin any of the budget decisions that would get get announced legislation of course already exists for the reintroduction of the energy credit uh, which means it it could benefit electricity customers sooner they wouldn't need to have any other legislation they already have that uh, in place And, of course, while all those discussions and negotiations are going on between the government uh, ministers, the Tániste, Leo Varadkar, warned again yesterday that the cost of living crisis could last. He's now saying for years, but he once again dismissed demands for an emergency budget during the summer. He says the government was keenly aware of the difficulty people were facing with costs. But he pointed out that the, as a government, 2.4 billion has already been spent to help people. And he says this was more than many other governments have done in facing what is now a common problem across the world. And he does have a good point there. This rise in inflation is happening everywhere. But I would point to that Euro study that I mentioned yesterday in the study that came out from the Central Statistics Office showing we are the second highest in Europe for food prices. So therefore, because of that, it's only right and proper that the government should be helping out the people who most uh, need it. Leo thinks uh, says yesterday, I think everybody is feeling squeezed, but people on low income and people in rural areas, he said, are especially feeling the pinch. So good to see him calling out and recognising that people in rural areas uh, really are affected, particularly when it comes to the rising cost of fuel petrol and diesel because they have no choice if you live in a rural area but you have to spend more on your petrol and on your diesel and you have to use more of your petrol and uh, diesel so a lot still being decided it's certainly looking looking at that and and reading a lot of other commentary this morning they haven't everything decided yet for the budget but they do seem to be uh, putting as much as they can in place and the hope is that we will have a slightly earlier budget with the hope then uh, for people who are going to get any kind of increases in their weekly payment that they would kick in sooner rather than later yesterday by the way we I mentioned that we were running an an Insta poll on our C103 Insta stories asking people do you tip staff when you're out and about for a a meal and according to our listeners and people following us on our Insta stories 79% of people admitted yesterday that yes they do like to tip with 24% saying no they do don't uh, tip now i'm i've a I've a big thing about uh, tipping and g- generally speaking I will never leave a restaurant without tipping unless the service was absolutely atrocious that is the only time I would leave without uh, tipping but of course the whole issue around uh, tipping has very much come under focus this week this week because customers we will no longer be asked to pay mandatory service charges at restaurants or pubs under new plans that have been brought forward this uh, week the move Uh, was brought forward as part of a new bill on tips. It was before the Senate uh, earlier on in the week. The amendment to the bill effectively bans what's called so-called service charges unless the charge goes straight to the staff. The overall objective of this bill is to prevent employers from using tips to make up basic wages and to introduce some transparency about how tips and service charges are distributed because customers can't be sure When we pay a service charge, we can't be sure where they're used for or who actually gets them. Now, voluntary tips that I certainly uh, prefer... um, are very different but we still don't know for sure when you hand over a tip you still don't know does it go to the person that it was intended to go to and does it go to the waiting staff is it also obviously shared with the staff that work behind the scenes in uh, the kitchen so you know as it stands when we pay any kind of a tip or a service charge we like to think that it is going for good uh, service but it seems that that's not the case and that seemingly there has been some employers now they are in I have to say in the minority and it seems to be Particularly in restaurants and in the hospitality sector, who use tips and use service charges, which is given by customers and intended by staff, but a minority of employers are using that to put it towards their payroll. So, if somebody, say for arguments' sake, earns you know two hundred euro at the at the end, they've done they've done their working week in or a few hours, or whatever it is, and they've earned two hundred euro, and say. 20 euro comes in by way of tips then the employer is only actually handing over 180 and the 20 euro comes out of the tip chart which seems really really unfair so we need to have legislation to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore so it's good to see that that legislation is going through the houses of the Aractus, but it does raise that whole issue of the mandatory service charge when the bill arrives and you see that the tip, the gratuity, the service charge is included and then they can set it at whatever price they want, 10%, 15%. I've been in one establishment where it was 20% and I was really annoyed about it and, and tried to have uh, an argument, but uh, but I ended up having to pay it in, in the end. But I, I don't like that. I don't like when it's mandatory. I like to decide because if you get exceptionally good service, I might like to give more than the 10% or the 20% or whatever it is that is put at the end of the um, the end of the bill but I always feel when there's a mandatory tip included then it discourages you from giving anything extra so I'm interested in your thoughts on that as well do you prefer when the business actually decides what the tip should be and they're guaranteeing that it will go to the staff or do you prefer to decide yourself how much you feel the, the tip is worth your thoughts. Welcome to 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103
4: 103. Court today on C103.
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. So yesterday
5: the Minister for Education announced legislation that will ensure sufficient provision of placements for children with special needs. To tell us what this means for families of children with a disability I'm joined by Cork North Central Dole Deputy Podrick O'Sullivan who is Fina Fault's spokesperson on special education. Uh, Good morning to you Good morning Patricia. You're welcome uh, to the programme. Do many families find it difficult to secure a school place for their child with special needs?
6: Yeah and unfortunately it's just something that's gone on historically Um, And obviously, you know, some people are worse affected than others, depending on what part of the country they're in. Dublin and Cork now in particular would be probably two of the worst affected areas. Um, At the moment, there's anywhere between, you know, 17 and 80 children, I believe, in Dublin without an appropriate school place. In Cork, um, estimates vary, but it, it is around, the I think, 12 to 16 figure at the moment, so... Um, there's a lot of work to do. The legislation, look, it's welcome. I'm, I'm calling for it now myself for about a year and a half and I'm just glad eventually census prevailed and you know, it's going to streamline the process that allows the NCSE, the National Council for Special Education and the Minister herself to intervene if, if necessary.
5: Yeah, just explain how this new legislation will actually help individual families.
6: So at the moment we have a thing called a Section 37 and a Section 67 in the Education Act and the section 37 basically allows the minister for education um, to direct a school to open um, an ASD class or a special class as needed. But unfortunately, that process up to now it takes about 18 months, they reckon, because there's so many reports, the NCSE are involved, the school has so many rights to, I suppose, reply and so on, and that the process is just long and cumbersome. Um, so. At, this legislation will reduce that possible eighteen month um negotiation for the want of a better word to about six to eight weeks. So it streamlines the process you know radically really. Um and there's also a, um, in the Education Act of section sixty seven, which allows the National Council for Special Education to direct a school to take an individual child with um, special education needs. So, like, for a long time, schools were able to say, look, our ASD class is full, Mm. or or we're just at capacity in the mainstream. We can't take any child, um, and it may be a child with additional needs, but also the modification to the Section 67, again, would allow for that process to reduce... Um, drastically and allow the NCSE to direct a school
5: to take but, an individual but, child. And while why that is fantastic <coughs> and, and a bit of reassurance for families and particularly families who have young children who don't need to go to school yet but they know that they're going to be facing this problem in the years ahead would you prefer to see schools volunteer to provide more places rather than being directed by a ministerial order? Yeah
6: well I suppose look this is legislation and we have to legislate for all types of scenarios and up to now we have had a collaborative approach as it's been described all the time with schools and that clearly hasn't worked and it clearly hasn't worked in in particular in the larger urban areas like Cork, Dublin, Limerick so if if the legislation that was there in existence actually worked and and look you've seen parents that have been in media um, have been out in protests and marches the system, as it is, or as it was, hopefully pending the passage of this legislation, clearly wasn't working, so this now, if required, gives the minister and gives the n c s e in particular you know um a greater say in um you know putting kids into appropriate school places, it actually probably has the added knock on benefit of you know, you you'd, you'd you'd hear stories of people travelling large distances, particularly in Cork, it's such a large county. The nearest ASD class that it might be accessible to, to somebody might be often fifty, sixty, seventy yeah, miles away. Yeah, I
5: mean that's that that we've ludicrous situations of children getting on buses very early in the morning and not home until late in the evening, making their day extremely long.
6: Yeah, and we had John Kearney, who's the new head of the NCSE, and actually originally a Corkman uh, before the Autism Committee last week. And he emphasised over and over again that children should have the right to go to their local school. So now that he's in situ, you now he's only in the job a couple of months, but if he's going to follow through on that type of commitment, you know, we will see a larger amount of these AST classes and special education classes and early intervention classes opening in schools that will give kids the opportunity to go locally and not have to get on those arduous bus Yeah, and,
5: and to go to school with their siblings. There's something exactly, really important yeah. and I think very important for parents to see both their children, their children with special needs and their children who don't require special needs, walking through the same school gate, uh, probably the school gate that some of them may have attended themselves when they were children.
6: I think I was on this radio show with you about a year ago where I gave you an example of a child that I knew that was going from Mitchelstown to Bandon every day, such as the scarcity of places, okay, And that's not an isolated incident. So, like, I, I think this legislation is welcome. I hope to God it doesn't have to be enforced left, right, and centre. I hope schools will take it as it is, Um, and many schools, including the one I used to work uh, in Clash and Craven, and for myself, were very proactive on ASD class provision and so on. And we would have a large student cohort with with special education needs. But it needs to be said as well that other schools across the county and the city, now need to up the game. Need to step up. Yeah, they need to step up. They,
5: they, they really do. Will additional supports and grants, if need be, will they be available to help a school to open? A, a new unit or a new
6: class? Well, the Minister said that you know, if resources are required they'll be given as necessary but okay. just so people know if an EST class is sanctioned for a school that school then gets a teacher and two SNAs to staff that unit, or sorry that class so um, you know there are resources that go with the opening of a special class and of course the, the, a big bugbear of mine and I, I know I'm a teacher and I was teaching nearly 15 years I, myself, as a secondary school teacher, never felt fully qualified, if I'm being honest, um, to go into some special class settings. And I do believe that, you know, at college level, when we're training our teachers, additional modules need to be put on to make sure that newly qualified teachers in particular are, are, are qualified to go in and deal with, with, with students that have a variety of needs. And if that requires further professional development for existing teachers as well, I think it's something that the Teaching Council and the NCSC in particular need to focus on. That's in a really the, in the good point.
5: That is, that is a really good point. Do you expect to see new special classes open by next September?
6: Well, there's already a, a large number, I, I'm being told, up to 50 across the country. Okay. Um, so, and that's you know, without any direction or 37A. I think there's only actually one more 37A directive being issued so far. So, like, look, I, I must be fair as well. Like the government to be fair there's more SNAs than we've ever had there's more special education teachers than we've ever had there's nearly 2 billion in the education budget devoted to, to special education there's an awful lot of good being done but but the reality is there are more kids than ever before that are getting diagnosis and it's, it's about meeting that demand and especially we have like obviously a school inclusion model you know this is you know there's going to be more and more kids with special education needs in mainstream and we need to ensure that resources are given to those schools with higher student population of children with special education needs to ensure that they can get, you know, an appropriate education because as I said, these these children travelling long distances and so on or many kids I know with special education lead that might even know, need to go to a special education school that can't get a place, um, you go. know, they're actually going back into mainstream because there isn't a special educational school to take them and, you know, that's not deemed as an appropriate setting in many of those cases that I'm familiar with. So, you know, this legislation is welcome but it's, it's, it's by no means, you know, Panacea to all the problems in this in this
5: sector. Okay, but it certainly is a, a step in the right uh, direction. Listen, uh, can we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is Fianna Fáil, Deputy uh, Podrick O'Sullivan, who is the Fianna Fáil spokesperson for special education. 0818 103 103. I mentioned the electricity uh, credit, and it is looking like the government in their negotiations for the next budget are certainly considering that they're going to once again give that €200 Euro electricity credit. Now, it will be next year, probably maybe early in the next year, Next year, but it looks like it is going to be contained in the budget that gets announced in September or October. Somebody says, "Fisher, what happens if you haven't used up all of the €200 Euro on the first bill for your electricity? Does it carry over onto the next bill? Yes, it does, absolutely, because we heard of many uh, families, particularly people living on their own who didn't use as much electricity. Remember, every household in the country got the 200 euro and there was many people contacted us, single people who didn't use as much electricity. And, they, and I, I had said to a number of them who contacted us, make sure you contact us in two months' time when your next bill comes in and was it taken off? And it was. So, yeah, if you're in that that you didn't use it all up on the first bill, it would certainly come off the second bill. And I put just a suggestion to you as I'm listening to you regarding the budget proposals and this notion now that the government will give the €200 to be taken off everybody's electricity bills. Wouldn't it be great if the government considered a one-off payment of €200 to go towards the cost of petrol or diesel? But confine it, ring fence it just for people who are in business and people that use their cars to go to and from work, people who live in rural areas and people who have to drive to work and don't have access to public transport because we have Pascal Donoghue saying that whatever help they're going to give as part of the next budget, his suggestions are he wants to do it in one-off measures rather than give something that would have to be rolled back afterwards. So here's a listener saying there's a one-off measure that you'd like Pascal Donoghue to introduce €200, you'd get it either in petrol or diesel vouchers, but they would only give it, they wouldn't give it as the universal way they've given it to everybody with electricity. Everybody who has an ESB or electricity meter received the €200. What this listener is saying, confine the €200 just to people who use their cars either to go to and from work, people who live in rural areas and don't have the option of jumping on uh, the uh, bus. How would people feel about that? 0818 103 103. You can text their WhatsApp to 0862 103 103.
4: Court today on C103.
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
5: Almost a third of water treatment systems inspected by local authorities were a risk to human health. Are to the environment. That's according to a report which is out from the Environmental Protection Agency to discuss their latest report. I'm joined from the EPA by one of their senior inspectors and that's Jim Moriarty. Good morning to you Jim. Good
2: morning Patricia. Uh,
5: you're very welcome to the programme. Now another figure that jumps out from your report is over half, 53% of septic tank sy- systems failed in 2021. What are the main reasons that so many septic tanks are failing inspections?
2: Yes, unfortunately, the failure rate is is over half. Uh, We have published a report on inspections in 2021, and there was over 1,100 inspections that year, and 53% of them failed. Now, the reasons for failure can be uh, related to operational issues, like the tank hasn't been desludged or emptied out, or it can be a more structural issue, whereby there might be a leak or there could be rainwater getting into the tank. So we're seeing a mixture of things there, But most importantly, from our point of view, is where faults are found, that they're fixed.
5: And that's where the real problem lies, in that not all owners have fixed the problem when it's been identified, that that's a real cause for concern.
2: It is a cause for concern. We're seeing an increase year on year of kind of open uh, cases, as it were. Now, about three uh, quarters of faults that are, you know, identified by local authority inspectors, uh, and these are uh, communicated to the homeowner in terms of an advisory note telling them what has to be done. So three-quarters of them are fixed, which is good, but there there is a rump of around 500 uh, cases over the last... Mm, Number of years which have yet to be fixed, and that poses a risk I mean these aren't insignificant things if people come in contact with uh contamination from harmful bacteria or you know viruses, you can get sick, wells can get a damaged, or a waterway can become you know a polluted so these are things that need to be fixed
5: and you're not you're not just putting your own family's health at risk you're putting like neighbors and and uh, other people locally.
2: Absolutely. And uh, what what we see is that, you know, often a safety tank is far away from the house and it's it's underground. So people, in fairness, may not be aware that there's an issue because it's out of sight and out of mind. But when an inspection is carried out and the homeowner is, is informed what needs to be done, uh, there's no excuse not to fix it in those circumstances. And there are risks from it. There are grants available to help people to put things right. And uh, it's important that if they're not done, that enforcement would follow through, you know.
5: Yeah, but I was thinking about the ones, you know, that they get an inspection, they're told they've got an issue, and yet they've done nothing about it. Is it a cost factor, do you think, for some of those households?
2: That's part of the reason. I think there may be a lack of Awareness as well. They may not understand the risks that are there from it, that they could be putting their own health at risk. And if there's a well on their their property, then that's something that people can do is get their well tested once a year. Uh, Cost factors are there, but as I say, there are grant schemes available uh, which can provide uh, assistance up to 5 a thousand a euro which would would go a long way to fixing the vast majority of issues you know identified but regular maintenance is the key here in the same way that if you have a boiler in your house you get a service done every year to change the filters and the nozzles and stuff safety tanks are exactly the same Uh, if you keep a check on them every year de-sludge them Check any, uh, you know, a motor that are there. The power is coming to them, and so on. Then you will avoid a surprise when any inspector does come, uh, and that's really the key message that we want to get out.
5: And and if you are doing maintenance every year, roughly how much does that cost? Uh,
2: emptying a emptying a septic tank uh, about two to three hundred okay. euros. What that costs. and you
5: suggest and, and every year? Is it?
2: Well, the inting of a tank actually it only needs to happen every two to three years.
7: Okay, with
2: all right. Size. So that's not an annual cost, right? But Even a regular maintenance, a visual check will do yourself. Go out, go down to the bottom of the garden, look at it. Is there evidence of a ponding anywhere? Pour a bit of water down the drain. Does it get down to the tank? Does it show up anywhere else? These are simple things that people can do. There's information on our website about it and uh, really it's too much of a risk for people not to take these basic steps.
5: And Somebody's asking how do you select the septic tanks that are inspected by the local authorities every year? How would they select it?
2: Yeah, there is a protocol there for that. Uh, the EPA, as well as issuing a report on the findings, which which is what we're doing now, uh, we also produce the National Inspection Plan. And the inspection plan is uh, targeted at areas of higher risk. So if your septic tank is within 100 metres of water, and we have maps uh, in place to show that, then you run a higher risk of being inspected. And also, if your septic tank is co-located with a household well where people extract water... To drink, then that's an additional risk risk factor. So we focus uh, the in, the in, the inspections on those on those areas where those factors apply.
5: And are there many septic tanks in this country? We're talking. This is in rural areas.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, if if we're. Ireland is heavily reliant on on safety tank systems outside of the urban areas uh, because it doesn't make financial sense to have a public sewer network there. Cork, for example, has the highest number of safety tanks in the country. There's 54,000 safety tanks in Cork. That's
5: a lot. That's a lot. But that's a lot of people living in in rural areas. And would many of them have their own wells as well? I'm assuming a lot of them do.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, for Cork, I don't know the figure, but I know that, and yeah, that nationally, 165,000 septic tanks are in households where there's wells as well. So they're uh, the ones
5: that really need to make so sure that their septic tank has been maintained.
2: And it is—I mean, they—they they do work. The vast majority of them are fine. Uh, and and they, they can do the job well, but just basic things like uh, you don't put something in the ground 15 years ago and leave it there and hope for it forever to do its job. Mm-hmm. It has to be checked every year and basic things can can have a positive, positive improvement, right
5: now? Yeah, but your, your message, I think, really is don't wait for an inspection from the local authority. There's a responsibility on the householder to maintain their own septic tank.
2: There is, and there are, as I say, simple things that can be done. And the way I look at it is, and the same way that you'd maintain your car and you'd maintain, you know, a boiler, you should maintain your septic tank in the same way. And and then, you know, the failure rate will go down, and there'll be no need to fix anything. And that's what we want to see.
5: Happen. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think your comparison with the boiler is a good one. And you know, we all think of getting the boiler as strong because it's a safety issue as well. We should be people that have a septic tank uh, should be thinking uh, the very same way. And you say people can go to your website, the EPA?
2: Yes, epa.ie, and, and there's good information there on the grant um, assistance, the inspection plan reports, uh, information on areas and wells and so on, and uh, we'd encourage people to look at that.
5: OK, all right, and let's hope we get to a day where we won't need the inspections because all of the septic tanks will be running perfectly. In yes. the meantime, Jim, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Jim Moriarty, a senior inspector with uh, the EPA on that latest report on the number of septic tanks. failing inspection last year, but the bigger worry the people who it was pointed out to over the last couple of years you have a problem with your septic tank. You do you need to do something about it. And for whatever reason, those householders decided not to because they're not just putting their own households uh, at risk. The health implications for their own households, but it's also for their neighbours and, and for the wider uh, community. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can uh, check and you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103. Somebody on Septic Tank saying, why are they not checking the raw sewage going into the sea from the mains? That is another issue that needs to be uh, dealt with. And we were talking about special education a couple of minutes ago with uh, Podrick O'Sullivan from the Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy on special education. And he said, uh, here's a good one in from a teacher. So Cy Patricia, just to highlight, there is a huge lack of special needs teachers. And this listener is speaking from experience. I am a teacher. I've no special needs education training yet. I'm expected to teach in a special needs unit in our school. We don't have curriculum. We don't have books. We don't have resources uh, provi- provided. The whole suggestion is make it up as you go along, which is totally unfair, both on the child and on the teacher. And actually, Patrick O'Sullivan touched on that because he's a teacher as well. So he's very much coming at this from a teaching background. But that is, and he did make that point that when our young students are training to be primary and secondary school teachers but in the main primary school teachers they they have to include more on special needs because unfortunately and I don't know what the reason for it is but more and more children are being born and getting diagnosed with special needs so we're going to have more and more children who are going to need special education so the flip of that is we need to have teachers that have experience and are trained to deal with and work with and to teach special needs children. It seems Totally unfair to me to ask a teacher to go into a classroom and being told next year, you know, next September, the unit you're in is... Is the special needs unit or children with autism or children with other needs and you're expected to make it up as you go along that is you are right it is totally unfair both on you as a teacher but particularly unfair on the child I mean what hope does the child have of getting the proper education they need if the person teaching them isn't qualified uh, to do it and that is something I think that has to be uh, looked at and again and I meant to touch on this with uh, Podrick it's not that suddenly come next September or September of the following year, these children will just appear out of the woodwork. We now have the latest census and on the census, any family that has a child with a special needs or, or anybody living with a disability, there was quite detailed questions about the type of a disability. So once again, the information will be there for the Department of Education. They'll know... Be it in Dublin, in Cork, in the county of Cork, in Galway, in Limerick, they'll know exactly how many children have different needs. So, you know, they should be basing their models on that and getting the units up and running. But more importantly, as this teacher is pointing out, get the training in for the teachers. Thank you for your text.
0: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed
5: on the issue of tipping uh, when I mentioned this that uh, customers will no longer be asked to pay a mandatory service charge to uh, a restaurant or to a pub under new plans being brought, uh, brought forward. It's, uh, the move was brought forward. Part of a new bill on tips that's before the Senate at the moment and the amendment to the bill effectively bans so-called service charges this is mandatory service charges that's at the end of your bill unless the charge is going directly to staff because there's anecdotal evidence that it doesn't always go directly to staff and I was asking people for their thoughts on uh, tipping and do you prefer when there is a service charge or do you like to just tip yourself and how do you feel about uh, tipping? Pat in for for many years was actually a manager at a restaurant and he said when he arrived at the restaurant the first thing he noticed was that it was only the waiters and the people serving the public who kept the tips but he Pat, as a manager, felt that was very unfair. So he uh, 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 rearranged it. So there was a tip jar. All the money went in. And at the end of the shift, it was divided between those working front of house, doing the waiting, uh, but also those in the kitchen who work extremely hard. And I really do think that is the fairest way uh, to go. And he says, when you get good service, you should acknowledge it and you should tip. But he's raising the question now about tipping. Every time you get great service, for example, if you go into a shop or into a bar, um, and you know people are treating you very nicely and people go above and beyond the call of duty, and they are serving you, but just in a different way, it isn't in the serving of food. He says, should we be tipping them as well? Uh, Pat says he always tips his barman at uh, Christmas, but he said, where does it all stop? Where do you where do you say I'll tip this person and won't tip that person? I mean, if you go to the states, tipping is huge and it's everywhere and it's across a lot of uh, services. Uh, Pat makes an interesting point though, particularly when it comes to the hospitality uh, sector. He reckons if people working in the hospitality sector were were paid a living wage, this is not a minimum wage, many of them are on a minimum wage at the moment, but a living wage that they could actually live on, he feels then there would be no need for uh, tips. And that's probably one of the reasons that people do tip when they go into a restaurant because they're of the view that the people serving them are on just on the minimum wage where you're assuming the people who work behind the scenes, maybe the chefs, the senior chefs in the kitchen would be on a lot higher wages than those who are working front of a house. So make sure everyone has a living wage. It would be great if we lived in an ideal world, uh, Pat, where everybody was on a living wage. And then there was a flurry of calls in about septic tanks following my chat with the EPA and Jim Moriarty showing the number of septic tanks that failed last year but the bigger worry for the EPA were the number of failed septic tanks in previous years and when they went back to check the people hadn't rectified, hadn't done the jobs that needed to be done in order to correct the fault of the septic tank and when I asked about desludging which Jim reckons should be done every couple of years. And I suppose it depends as well, doesn't it, on on the size of the septic tank and how many people are using, how many people are in the household. I'm assuming it depends on that as well. But I asked him, you know, how much did it cost? Because I'm very conscious of rising prices and rising costs of everything and people struggling. That there could be, there could be an, an issue whereby people who always got their tanks regularly maintained and always got them desludged be it every two years or whenever it needed to be done but now could be looking at all the other bills coming in and thinking well I'll push that one away do I really need to get that done this year and I'm fearful going forward will we be having the likes of Jim Moriarty from the EPA on saying that even more and more people are failing the septic tank inspection because they didn't get it desludged and when you drill down into it and say well why didn't they get it desludged will many people come back and say this literally couldn't afford it but anyway I asked him what did it cost and he said between 200 and 300 euro well the phone lines lit up with people saying come here now including Ken in abandon uh, says two to 300 euro is simply wrong he reckons you'd be lucky if you got a septic tank desludged you'd be lucky to get any change out of 500 euro he makes the point living in rural Ireland people living in rural Ireland pay property tax the same as people who live and work in towns and he feels the fields of people in rural Ireland get nothing for their property tax and he cites the example that if you are living on the street in a town or in a housing estate in a, a large urban area or in the city, and God forbid something goes wrong with the sewerage and you have a problem, you can contact the council, they'll come out and sort it out, they'll sort it out free of charge to the owner. But he said it's a very, very different story for rural dwellers. If something goes wrong with their septic tank, it's the owner of the house is expected to carry the can and pick up the bill. Even though he did point out that there are grants uh, available, and I don't know how those grants operate, and I don't know, do they fully cover the cost if you have to have remedial work done but go to the EPA website if you think you have a problem with your septic tank as I say, he, he, he spoke about the grants that are available. Helen in Duhallow is also questioning two to €300, Euro, what planet is that man living on? She reckons well over €500, Euro, could go up to €1,000 in some cases she says definitely prices have increased over the years, so maybe what he's citing was an example from a, a number of years ago and she says with diesel costs and travel costs they're expecting that bill to be even higher next year and Timmy in Kilty thought it was all a little bit ironic that I was speaking with the Environmental Protection Agency about the issue of households and their septic tanks failing when the council and others have for years left raw sewerage run into rivers and streams and nothing done about that and yet here they're, all, they're out picking on rural dwellers again and pointing the finger of blame as if it's all it's all down to the rural dwellers. A bit of irony there, says Tim. 0818 John Paul taking your calls. Some other texts uh, coming in to us. Just on costs, cost of everything. Let me give this out as a word of warning to anyone about to go out and buy a bag of uh, coal. A Fomoy listener was on to say, As of today, my normal bag of coal from our long-term supplier is going up. It was 25 euro and it is going up to 36 euro. Isn't that some jump for a bag of coal? It's going to be harder to try and heat our homes. I have a back boiler, so I have to light my fire. God help the elderly trying to find the money for this big hike. And by the way, says our Fomoy listener, this is just regular Coal. When she qu- queries the price of smokeless coal, she says uh, smokeless coal is going to be over forty euro a bag. How are people going to survive on on that? That is a huge, huge jump uh, for sure. And John says, Patricia, Brent crude oil on the world market, it is one one one. a barrel today yet petrol and diesel is surely now at an all-time high in this country. For example says John in his area, petrol €2.18 a litre. Someone is making huge profits. Is it the oil companies? Is it the retailers? Prices at the pump were much cheaper when oil was $150 a barrel. And of course, let's not forget the government, says John, is taking in more VAT with each price rise. Yeah, that's the irony as the price of diesel and petrol goes up because we pay VAT on the top figure of however much the price of a litre of petrol and a litre of diesel is. The more it rises, the more money, uh, certainly from VAT, goes into the coffers of the government. But yeah we've I know how many times that issue that's people have drawn our attention to that issue, and nobody no one has been able to give us an explanation I've trawled the internet to try to get uh, to try to get an explanation as to why when the barrel on the world market it was at probably its highest one hundred and fifty dollars a barrel, we certainly were paying nothing near two euro a liter and now it's down to just over the hundred. Dollar a bar 111 and we're paying record high uh, prices and it seems to be going nowhere but up it certainly isn't coming down for sure and then Mike being slightly sarcastic with his text says hi Patricia it'll be great when we get the fuel allowance lump sum that we have permission to do with it what we will so we can go out and buy food fuel NCT the car. Don't forget the car insurance, the car tax and throw in the car service. Knowing that you're not breaking the law, you can spend it as you like. Then, when you have all your big bills paid, you can go out and buy your smokeless coal and blocks with the change says Mike from Bantry that even when they do give out a lump sum and lump sum and one-off payments seem to be the way the Pascal Donoghue is going down, it doesn't go very far. And Mike, I don't know if you are aware or if you heard me just mention about the price for my listener for the bag of coal from 25 euro to 36 that's 11 euro extra for a bag of coal and most people of course don't go out and just buy one bag of coal and I know we're in the summer months and all of that but it has been the weather has just been miserable throughout the month of June but often when we get you know kind of this wet drizzly typical Irish summer weather usually the temperatures are up but the temperatures haven't been up I I think for the month of June I I was as cold as I was back in November certainly I don't know if it was last Saturday or the Saturday before I was heading out uh, to do my shopping you know the way you sort of run out the front door And I had to go back in and put an extra warm jacket on. I was saying it is like November out there. And now I've fought hard. I haven't put the heating on. But I know of people I've noticed when I've been driving around that you can see smoke coming out of people's chimneys. Older people feel the cold even more. And even though we're into today, the 1st of July, like we don't have super warm temperatures. So there are people that will have to continue even in the summer months buying coal and buying their fuel and then there's other people and I remember my good mo- my, my lovely mother God be good to her throughout the summer months she used to stock up on she still got the coal delivered every week and the, the idea was she stocked up in the summer months even though we, we didn't have the fire lit but then the extra was there for the winter months when you really needed it and I'm sure a number of people still do that but with those rising prices it's really eating in to somebody that is on a fixed uh, budget O eight one eight one oh three one oh three John Paul taking your calls and then on something completely different but an ongoing saga that we hear about constantly on the programme dog fouling. This time it's in from a listener who says, Hi, Patricia. My hobby and I, we go walking the footpaths in Glantan. There is not just dog fouling, there's horse fouling all being left on the footpath. People just seem to have no respect for other people. And when you get to the GAA pitch, there's a walk at the GAA pitch in Glantan. There's clearly a sign up saying no dogs allowed People just completely ignore it and dog fouling is a big problem at the GAA pitch along the walk uh, as well. I'd, I'd Listen I've, I've gone, I'm talking about this for years and we've never found a solution. I don't know how we stop it. I don't know how we get responsible pet owners and there are many responsible pet owners I see them on a daily basis uh, when I'm out and about driving to and from work. I see people with their poo bags I see people picking it up. I see people carrying it home or waiting to get to a bin where they can dispose of uh, of it and they are the really good responsible pet owners but unfortunately it's the other ones who just don't seem to care and it is respect you're right where is the respect level they don't seem to care for anybody else 0818 103 103 text whatsapp 0862 103
4: 103 C103 Jobs
5: Sheet metal workers and HVAC installers are wanted for a new project in Cork CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Full and, full-time and full and weekend production operators are required at Alps in, Mitch- in Mill Street. Application forms are available by contacting info at alps.ie. Store manager wanted a Casey's furniture store. That's on Oliver Plunkett Street in the city. Email CVs to bernie.hennessy at caseys.ie and a site operators with welding ability wanted 085 759 757 9859 you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103.
4: Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack
0: Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, CMIG.ie.
5: The National Broadband Plan has missed its revised target by up to five months with a former communications minister, Dennis Nocton, saying that the project may not now be finished until the end of 2027 which is a full year later than was planned independent. Uh, Doll Deputy Dennis Nocton uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to Dennis. Good morning. And uh, you're welcome. Now what are the explanations being given for the delays in the rollout? How much of this can be put down to Covid for example?
8: Well that is the main reason that has been given has been uh, that it has been down to COVID, but the reality is there have been other issues uh, that have delayed this process. And sadly, look, I think the government took the eye off the ball, uh, so to speak, in relation to this Uh, over the last two years. They allowed slippage to take place, uh, some of which I think could have been addressed if they had intervened in time. But the difficulty is, we are where we are at the moment now. But from the evidence that we had at the Dáil Committee earlier this week, it does seem that National Broadband Ireland have got uh, on track. They've employed an extra uh, 300 staff. They're now delivering about three, uh, just over 7,000 homes a-, a month that they're actually passing by with the cable uh, outside uh, the door of houses and people will then be in a position to apply to connect to that uh, fibre cable. And it looks like that they will reach their revised targets by the end of this year, which are about half of what had been the original target. But it seems now that they are getting uh, the targets in line. Uh, They are delivering on the commitments that they are being given but it will be a slower delivery than was originally envisaged.
5: Which is good news for some but it's still bad news for those that that are waiting. Now you suggested this week something that I thought was was really interesting that the government work with existing wireless broadband providers by reusing some of their equipment. Can you just explain your thought pattern and and what you're thinking of here because I think this is a very, very valid suggestion.
8: Yeah and look this is something that would benefit a lot uh, all of your listeners uh, in Cork and right across the country uh, in rural areas. So uh, as National Broadband Ireland uh, pass 7,000 homes every month, about one third of those people are connecting to the fibre cable within uh, the first six months. Uh, of being given the opportunity to do that. So over the, the next 12 months, we're going to have about 30,000 homes that are going to be connected to the fibre cable, hopefully more than that. And a lot of these homes are already receiving uh, a wireless broadband connection from the likes of Imagine or there are many other wireless operators out there at the moment. So what I want is that when the equipment is removed from those homes, uh, that the government works with those wireless uh, uh, operators uh, and reinstall that equipment in other more rural homes, giving them at least a wireless broadband service until they actually get access to the fibre cable. Now, to do that what really needs to happen for those wireless operators to be able to extend their reach. They need access to uh, state-owned sites. It might be a local water tower, uh, um, you know, a communications mast, whatever the case uh, may be. And I'm arguing that the government should make those available free of charge uh, for the next three to four years uh, until people do get uh, the fibre cable rather than charging them a rent uh, for that, which would be the normal practice.
5: And that obviously would help the people who are further down the list when people put in their air code and they're told, you're not going to get broadband until 2026, 2027, which is soul-destroying for those households.
8: Yes, it is. Uh, but you you are seeing uh, significant investment over the last couple of years in relation to 5G technology from the mobile phone companies uh, and from uh, Imagine. You also have seen many of the the wireless operators around the country, and there's about 40 of those around the country, uh, that have been uh, providing a service, a very good service in many cases, uh, to many people in rural Ireland, and it was the only service that they could get up to now. So rather than seeing that equipment uh, being scrapped, we should be reusing that equipment in other homes. And I know that there are a number of wireless uh, broadband providers that are willing to do that, uh, but they do need the government to help meet them halfway because, you know, if they're paying uh, rent for a site, having to bring power to that site bring broadband to that site, get planning permission for it. It's a huge cost for them. So if we can reduce that cost, it gives them an incentive uh, to extend their reach uh, to more rural homes and provide those people with a wireless broadband service until they get access to the fibre cable.
5: And can I just pick you up on the figure that you said of the 7,000 homes a month that the, the fibre is rolling out past and is outside their doors? You said a third are connecting. Why are so few connecting? I thought people would be taking the hand in all often when their fibre was outside the door. Well,
8: there's a couple of reasons, and I'm glad you asked me that. There's a couple of reasons for that. Some of it, believe it or not, and I know this will sound surprising, but some of it is because people aren't bothered to actually pick up the phone and order it. They think that it's magically going to land to their door without them asking first. So people need to put in an order to any of the the broadband operators that are there uh, at the moment. Their existing wireless operator will provide them with a fibre connection or any of the other uh, companies that are selling uh, fibre that are advertised on the television on a day-to-day basis. But people actually have to order it. The second thing is that maybe people are in a contract at the moment and that contract might lapse maybe for six months or 12 months. Now, a lot of the existing broadband providers will transfer you over uh, to uh, the fibre cable network without having to pay a penalty. Uh, But actually, uh, a sign-up rate of one-third within six months is a phenomenal rate. It actually hasn't been seen anywhere else in the world. It Uh, it has been much slower in in relation to the air network. Uh, When they started rolling out fibre, they were looking at... Maybe about ten percent over oh, six wha- months.
5: Okay, okay, all right. So, because and where it is being rolled out, uh, Dennis, the National Broadband Plan is working extremely well.
8: Absolutely, and people are very happy uh, with it. Uh, now there are there are technical uh, issues that are holding it up. For example, uh, if an additional pole has to be installed, National Broadband Ireland have to get a license from the local authority that can take up to four months to get that license from the local authority. So that can delay uh, the process. But, you know, when uh, the fibre comes outside your door, uh, it is important that if you want broadband, that you you order it from some of the existing uh, broadband providers and they'll be more than willing to connect you.
5: Absolutely. OK. And just where we have you on the programme, I saw in the paper this morning, you were uh, talking about long COVID uh, across the, uh, the country. And I know it's hard to get accurate figures on uh, long COVID. But I mean, when we started to realise that COVID was going to affect people so differently and that there would be a cohort of people who would end up maybe for many years suffering the after effects of uh, COVID-19, we were promised dedicated clinics clinics. Uh, have any of those dedicated clinics been set up?
8: There are clinics set up um, and these have been set up because you have doctors in particular hospitals that have an interest uh, in this area. Um, you have them in uh, a couple of the Dublin hospitals and in Galway. I'm not sure about uh, Cork at the moment, but they're not actually dedicated, specific long COVID clinics. The I was promised in the Dáil last uh, September uh, that they would be set up They're still not set up to date uh, and it is important that these are set up. We're talking about somewhere between 150,000 and 300,000 people uh, that have uh, long COVID or have experienced it at some stage. We have people that are out of work uh, and can't go back to work because of the impact of long COVID. We have a lot of people, you know, that don't have the same energy levels that they've had in the past. And what we need in relation to these specific uh, clinics is what's called multidisciplinary teams. So you would have the respiratory consultants, the rheumatologists, consultants, the cardiology consultants and experts uh, there that can actually look at each individual, look at their particular uh, issues and put a treatment plan uh, in place for them. Now, the big concern that I have is, one, because of the large numbers we're talking about, but secondly, a lot of these people have made a full recovery uh, from COVID uh, and then get a relapse uh, after that. In those instances, They have to go to the GP, first of all, uh, and they might wait uh, a week or a fortnight to get to see a GP. That GP can't refer them into a long COVID clinic uh, at the moment because there is no referral pathway there. So they end up referring them to a cardiologist or a respiratory consultant which is adding to those waiting lists already, which are astronomical anyway because of the delays with COVID. So we have people with heart conditions or lung conditions uh, that have been waiting to see a consultant for two years, and those waiting lists now are getting longer because we're also adding people with long COVID to them who shouldn't be on those lists, who should be dealt with uh, separately, and it is important that that happens. Now, interestingly, we've got research in the last couple of days, uh, which is uh, suggesting that um, in relation to adults, we're talking about uh, somewhere between one in 10 and one in five people that get COVID end up with long COVID. But in fact, with children, we're looking at one in four children who get uh, COVID are actually ending up uh, with long COVID. And there is no specific clinic at all available at present uh, for children to cater for and treat them uh, in relation to long COVID.
5: They're high figures. They really are high figures. And a lot of stories and people and lives ruined, you know, because we've spoken certainly since the pandemic broke and we realised that there was this condition uh, called long COVID. We've spoken with people whose lives are just nothing like they were before they came down with uh, COVID. So, yeah, we certainly do need these dedicated clinics. Listen, uh, Dennis, I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Independent uh, Doll Deputy Dennis uh, Nocton on the issue of the National Ballpark Plan, but also on this issue of the number of people suffering from long uh, COVID. Now, I did see Anne O'Connor, she's the HSE's Chief Operations Officer, and she did say that a, model, a new model of care for those suffering from long COVID is being implemented uh, to address what is now an emerging health need. She also points out though, that the exact number of people that are affected with long COVID remains unknown. There are published reports indicating that approximately 10 to 20% of COVID patients will experience lingering s- symptoms, anything from weeks to months, and dare I even say years, because we've got people who got covid At the very start, like in the very early days, March of 2020, you know, March, April, May, that early wave, uh, who are still to this day uh, suffering. And she says that the HSE is working closely with uh, each of the long COVID and post-COVID hospital sites to expand the existing uh, clinics where needed to provide full scope of care. As I say, I don't know if there's a long COVID clinic here in Cork or not. Certainly any of the people, any of the people suffering, who have contacted us are feel very much on their own and are very much you know trying to organise their own appointments and going to see a host of different consultants to try to sort themselves out 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 Court
4: today on C103.
0: With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G
5: With life returning to some kind of normality following over two years of lockdowns and restrictions, it's great to hear that the South of Ireland Band Championships will be returning to Clonacilty tomorrow, Saturday the 2nd of July. And to preview this year's event, I'm joined by the Chair of the Organising Committee and that is Jer O'Driscoll. Good morning to Ger. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, you did manage to do virtual performances, didn't you, for the last two years. Did they work well for you?
9: They did. They were very good and very well um, with participants. We had um, international and national participants and it kept the actual, the the whole event live as such. It kept it going and the interest going and the things. So it was was a success.
5: Okay, well done, well done. Now, uh, it's the 41st... Event this uh, this year. What what do you attribute to the success of this band championships?
9: Well, it's a very unique festival. It's the forty first competition. It's the forty third year of the event, so it's it's so unique because this event, when it was started all those years ago, it was to involve little bands from small towns and um, country areas. We'd say that couldn't go to the nationals; they wouldn't have the numbers to participate. And we still have those bands, those same bands who were there 43 years ago, still coming back to the festival on, a, on an annual basis. Isn't
5: that terrific?
9: Oh, great! It is, and uh, they love it. All the all the musicians, and for myself, I was there at the very start, 43 years ago, and I now know people's grandchildren who started
5: there from different bands. Yeah, and what I love about, you know, um, a hobby like this, you have a tendency to see that, don't you? That it gets the skill and the love of the music and the instrument gets passed down through the generations.
9: It does. And you see, banding is a a very unique thing because the the bands that we have here will be brass bands, which is traditionally a 28-piece band. And then you would have a military-style band, which would be a full military band would be forty four piece. That would be your clarinets, oboes, flutes, piccolos, bassoons, saxophones. Where a brass band is brass instruments. And the thing about this sort of banding, it's it's it has to do with we'd say the respiratory system as you're blowing. Yeah. And it and you have to train the muscles of the lips to actually to sustain your breathing and your your intonation and everything like that. Where a guitar is very easy to pick up in comparison. So it's it's something that you have to practice on a a, a, well a daily basis really to keep up those muscles it's like anything you have to keep them tuned
5: and it's an incredible sound
9: oh it is it is you see I think I just I said it to you before Patricia last time we were speaking that a brass band was designed is designed to sound like a, a church organ going off or I should rephrase it a church organ is designed to, to sound, sound like, like a, a brass, brass
5: band. band. Yeah, yeah.
9: Because yeah. it's cheaper to pay one person in the church <laughs> than <laughs> a number of have, They'll have a full band. Now, how many <laughs> yeah. bands are you expecting will attend? We will have 26 bands attending. 26. Did, and did, did, did I read there's even a couple of new ones? There is. There's two new bands coming all the way from Carrick Macross, County Monaghan. Steadfast Shoes Band and Unlock Ron Ling Brass Band. So we have two new bands, which is great.
5: By God, they really, really travel,
9: don't they? They do. They do. And it's just the participation. And again, from speaking to the chair people, the chairperson involved in these bands, they love, we'd say, the bigger picture. The young people coming down and seeing the bigger picture, meeting other bands. And the same kind of problems are in all bands. Recruitment, keeping people going, insurances, this sort of thing. But this day in Santa is so unique and special that... It's a family fun day. It's open to everyone. There's like, there's so many different things here. And the repeat people coming back every year, the repeat bands that come back year after year is testament to the success of the festival down through the years, really.
5: And great great friendships then. You'll meet people tomorrow that you won't meet again until next year.
9: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so, w- w- so explain how the competition. This is a the, there is a competitive nature to this. So explain to me how the competitions work and where they'll take place.
9: Okay. Well, we have we have two venues, and that the uh, intermediate section will take place in the Sacred Heart Secondary School in Clanagilty, and adjacent to that is the Clanagilty Community Gym. And that will be where the junior and senior competition will take place. So they will both start at 9.30 a.m. in the morning, the intermediate in one hall. And we say the junior starting at 9.30, followed by the seniors in another hall, both at 9.30. And we'll have an adjudicator then in each um, venue.
5: Do you bring in an adjudicator? we do ah. we, the
9: first t- i think the first time ever we have a husband and wife <laughs> coming from coming from England from the number one brass band in the world which is the Cory band in Wales yeah so we have a husband and wife coming helen williams and Lynn williams
5: so helen so, will do one section and glenn will do the other we'll section We'll
9: do
5: the other yep that's that's, that's the, the, uh, that that is the way uh, to yeah. do it and and what happens each perform- is it one piece each band performs or
9: they, it, the the beauty again of this this We'd say competition is that you can play any piece and any repertoire you want, provided a march is included in your repertoire, a maximum time of 15 minutes. So you could play two pieces that would last a 15 minutes, or four short pieces. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a variety for any of the audience who would like to come and sit and listen to the bands all day. There's different music being played right across the day.
5: And you are very welcoming of people coming in and and watching and listening.
9: Oh, yes. Yes. It's open from the first bands will start at 9.30am and it'll run probably until 6pm tomorrow evening. And it's free to come. Everyone is welcome and uh, just to sit down and um, listen to the music and it's it's, it's a super day out Patricia super and out.
5: It, I'm just thinking the organisation of getting one band in one band out the next oh, band yeah. in does it all yeah. does it all go according to plan
9: um, does it all go according to is plan it well-oiled to <laughs> is it a well oiled is it a well oiled machine it is it's well oiled it'll yeah. be very well oiled after the first two or three bands when people get used to where they're going and when they come out and how they enter and things like that like even last night at home, though, people were ringing me. Where do we enter? Is it from the back on the right hand side? And what's the seating arrangements? Because there's there there's so many marks for actual presentation and how you deportment, how you come on, and how you leave the stage and things like that. So it's it's. Um, so well oiled and things like that it will be I'm sure yeah it, it,
5: it, will. it, will, it will, and the discipline within the bands themselves because of the nature of what they exactly. do as well will the bands perform outside of competition
9: they will now I have three venues around the town we'd say we'd say Ashna Square, which is right in the middle of town outside o'Donovan's hotel, and we'd say down with the near um shanley's bar we'd say down there we'd have different venues we say where bands would take place would would perform at different times throughout the day. Again the weather hopefully will improve tomorrow so that they will be able to um, perform so that would be an extra bonus then for people as well because the all time fair is running in conjunction with the bands championships so it'll be a lovely day to actually come out of the competition walk downtown, see a band playing, look at the old time fair and all the displays that would be happening so it will be it will be very special again. I say, if the weather. Um, well, I'm just I'm just looking at the
5: forecast. I mean, they're saying a mixture of sunny spells and scattered showers, but nothing yeah. like today. They're saying there's a thing There will be some decent dry intervals, uh, particularly uh, in the afternoon and uh, evening tomorrow. So I, th- I think you'll be okay. I think in between the, the showers, I think I think you're you're, you're going you're going to be okay. But the old the old time fair. That that's that that's been that's been run with the band championships, hasn't it, for a number of years? It has,
9: it has, and it gives it an extra little. Uh, we'd say a bit of variety to the day when people come. Like um, a lot of people who travel from from up the country might come from a farming background. They love looking at the old machinery. We say we there's usually a steam engine and things like that going up and down the street, and uh, vintage cars and tractors and that sort of stuff. So it's it it's a variety variety.
5: And a great boost to the local economy. I mean, I'm thinking of those bands that you mentioned that'll be travelling from up the country. All I'm assuming some of them are already underway on the journey down, are they?
9: I was speaking to two of them this morning coming from County Loud, and they were due to perform, with would say, in Ashna Square this evening from 5 o'clock to 7. That'll be Lourdes Brass Band yeah. and RD Brass Band, but it's going to rain, so I have an alternative venue for them. <laughs> I was texting them. To say they went to the alleyway we have O'Donovan Hotel, perfect. which is uh, yeah. the rain.
5: Yeah, and and well, it's, perfect, it's for yeah. perfect for them. Perfect for them. Plan B, yeah. So yeah, you have to have Plan B. <laughs> so people will stay for for the weekend. People come and to th- not a bed to be had in Clon. I imagine for the weekend,
9: no, not a bed to be had. No, it's it's a huge economical boost to the town, and and with the local businesses are great to support. They come behind us, the Chamber of Commerce. And of course, Cork County Council through, the, through the, the Arts Department, the Local Festival Fund and the Municipal District of West Cork, of course. They're very supportive of everything we do, you know. It, and it's it, again, it's a proven track record, 43 years, continuous, well
5: done. which well done. Enough. Well done. As you say, even during the, the pandemic, you managed to do it uh, virtually. You, weren't, you certainly weren't going to give up on it. Great, no. great bonus to anybody who happens to be holidaying in Clon at the moment. It really is, is a special, special day. Enjoy every moment of it, Ger. And uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. No problem. Thank you. For good the morning show. to you. Bye uh, bye. The chair of the organising committee, Ger O'Driscoll, the South of Ireland band championships back live, as they say, in Clonakilty tomorrow. We hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful day and good luck to all of the bands taking part in the competition aspect of it. Yesterday, earlier today, about the number of septic tanks that failed inspections last year, 53%. And uh, but three quarters of them the failed inspections they're fixed immediately but the real worry is that about a quarter every year are not resolved and that's why the EPA are concerned so that's prompt, listeners please don't call out my name uh, for fear that my neighbour will know I'm talking about him but my neighbour's septic, septic tank is constantly leaking I would love if his septic tank was picked for inspection by the local authority how are they selected I did ask the EPA uh, earlier And they also have noted that the the planned inspections by the local authority is going to increase from next year. They don't do a lot of inspections overall. It's a 1,000 are done every year, which in the scheme of things, when you think about the number of septic tanks that are in this country, there's only a tiny proportion are inspected by the local authority. But they're increasing it to 1,200 septic tanks from next year. But when I asked... The uh, inspector who joined me from the EPA, Jim Moriarty, he said that inspections are focused near rivers where there's a greater risk to water quality. They also look at areas which have shallow soils where there's a greater risk to household uh, wells. So that's how they're actually selected. But there is really a very small proportion when you take the overall number of septic tanks that are in this country. The ideal, Jim Moriarty says, would be that they would never need to do any of these inspections if people were doing the maintenance and all of that. But of course, as so many listeners have pointed out, there is a cost involved. Even in the basic desludging, there's a cost eh, involved. And some are worried that those costs are even going to go higher because we've got you know diesel costs, transportation costs all of that the people who come in to do the desludging and the emptying of the septic tank their, their costs are going to go up and what's going to happen they're going to pass it on to the households as well so my fear when I was hearing that about people saying how expensive it is the fear is that next year when we're, have, we're looking at another EPA report more septic tanks will even more will even fail than failed last year and it would be as a direct result that people just simply couldn't afford to have their tank desludged 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls we got to take a break we're heading towards the newsroom for news at 12 midday Cork Today
4: on
0: C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's sale. now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay phone and text lines are Currently closed.
5: Some of your comments that are be coming into the program this morning. Robert in Royston was on, looking for a bit of help. An agricultural trailer travelled to Bandon this week, but the tailboard bar fell off and it got lost somewhere on the road between Bandon and Cork City. Now Robert describes it as a long bar with an elbow. And it's blue in colour. I have no idea what a tailboard bar looks like or what it is, but it obviously is of worth to our Robert in Rochester because he's offered a reward to get it back. So if anybody spotted that tailboard bar, blue in colour, if you found it somewhere along the band into Cork City road this week. Can you contact us? We've got Robert and Towns details and we can pass it on to we can put you in contact with each other 0818 103 103 I mentioned long COVID uh, earlier on in the programme when I was speaking with the independent all deputy Dennis Nocton. That prompted Jim to contact us about the COVID pandemic bonus payments you know the 1000 euro to all healthcare workers. I think a lot of people not working in healthcare will be surprised to hear. I think the last time I checked there's only a third of healthcare workers have received that 1,000 euro at this stage. And Jim is one of those frontline healthcare workers that is due to get the 1,000 euro. He hasn't received his yet, but he said what's particularly annoying is some fellow workers have and then others don't and that whatever about everybody in one hospital getting it and everybody in another nursing home not getting it at least you're kind of all in it together and you don't feel almost like you've been discriminated against why is, John, why is Johnny across the ward why did he get it and our Jim didn't get it and he said at this stage some of the staff are starting to wonder will they ever receive that bonus they said there's absolutely no logic at all to the way it's been rolled out and the, the, remember there isn't a tax implication on this this 1000 euro is paid out I to anyone who is entitled to it who worked in the front line during the pandemic and that they're not going to be taxed on it so they can't say oh there's a tax implication you think it would be just added on to somebody's wage packet at the end of the month but it has I think because when this first got mentioned everybody thought fantastic idea terrific idea and when it initially got mentioned there was a bit of who had the start as to who would get it and who wouldn't get it and then once all that got sorted out you know it was kind of a feel good factor about it but the goodness I think has been taken out of what was a Kind gesture on behalf of the government because of the delays in paying out the pandemic bonus so I feel your pain uh, Jim for sure thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. now I spoke about tipping earlier on on the programme and do you tip do you like to tip do you prefer when it's a service charge a mandatory gratuity is put in or do you like to just decide yourself if it's good service I'll add what I feel is the appropriate amount what about when you're eating out at the moment have you noticed prices have increased Marion was on to us to say they went out for a meal and I'm assuming it was was a couple it was two people we went out for a meal uh, recently in Cork County not in the city it was in the county Uh, Marion said I paid €7.50 for what Marion describes as a half a glass of wine now remember the glass of wine is a standard it's a standard measure that that you get it's when we fill our glasses of wine at home we have a tendency uh, that a recognised standard glass of wine probably a little bit bigger our glasses of wine at home. And of course, when you say a half glass of wine, if they give you a nice, tall, slender wine glass, it can look like a half glass of wine, but it's actually a standard amount. But anyway, she was annoyed that the glass seemed So little wine in this big glass. €7.50 for the glass of wine. That was bad enough. Then the main course arrived. €18.50 for Marion's main course. By the end of the entire meal, she said, We paid over €100, and that was for a meal for two. I understand, says Marion, that many of the workers are new. So I'm not going to complain about the service. But obviously, the service wasn't up to scratch. But she's not going to complain about it. But she says, It wasn't a big fancy restaurant. It wasn't like a Michelin star restaurant or anything like that. But she felt. For what they got, they were certainly not getting good value for money. And she said they came away kind of feeling, would, would we have been better off getting a takeaway and a bottle of wine and sitting at home and eating it? Because they certainly would have got it much less than the €100 Euro that they paid. But it's, it's nice to go out as well. It's nice to be served and the ambiance of where you were. But yes, is everything gone up? Marion I don't think anybody is saying that they're going out for a meal now and will come away saying God what a cheap meal that was that day is gone for how long I don't know and then Sheila on tipping says that she was in Donegal recently and she left a tip in the bedroom of the hotel when she was leaving because she thinks that the people that clean up the rooms do some of the hardest work and how many people, I have done that in the past, I have to say, don't, I I should do it more. And you're right, Sheila, we should leave tips for the housekeeping staff who come in and they do a lot of very hard work. Again, I mentioned the States where tipping is everywhere. There's actually an envelope in most hotel rooms in the States saying to you that when you're leaving, you put your, your tip in for the housekeeping uh, staff. Don't know how common it is here in this country. We'd have to speak with people who work in hospitality, who work as housekeeping chambermaids. Is that word, is chambermaids still used, the people that that, do the house or housekeeping staff? Is that what they're now referred as? Do many leave tips? Do you leave a tip when you're in the hotel room as you were leaving on your last day? Your thoughts welcome welcome on that. Our very generous Sheila does. Thank you for your text, uh, Sheila. And then the cost of everything going up. Somebody was citing the cost of a bag of coal. Regular supplier... Has just been told, it's from today, normally €25, it's gone up to €36. It's not smokeless coal. Somebody has said, I pay €28 for a bag of smokeless coal. I've no central heating, so I've no other choice. I have to light the fire. I wonder, is that incredibly cheap for smokeless coal? Does it depend on the size of the bag of coal? Because our initial caller who contacted us said that when she inquired The smokeless coal was going up to €40 a bag. Now, it could be the size of the bag as well, but somebody there paying €28 for a bag of smokeless coal. And then another regular listener says they're fearful that with coal, because coal is rising and the price of a bag of coal is rising all the time, that what people are going to start doing is they're going to buy less coal or they will give up buying coal completely and they'll start turning to timber blocks instead because burning timber blocks is cheap will be cheaper than burning coal. But will it be good for the environment? I don't know. O eight one eight one oh three one oh three. We've been talking about the septic tank uh, issue earlier when I had the EPA on and faulty septic tanks and people not fixing them when they when they, they fail an inspection. Listen to this. Hi, Patricia. Recently, a twenty-acre field in the North Cork area was covered with what I can only describe as the most foul-smelling slurry. Even though, tell me, anyone who's ever had sweet-smelling slurry, but foul-smelling slurry, the field was black with the slurry being spread on top of it. The following day, there was a downpour of rain. It must have lasted for a half half an hour that washed most of the slurry. Off the field and into the rivers and streams. More damage done in that half an hour than a thousand septic tanks could do. Love to know what the guy from the EPA would have to say about that. Nothing, I would say, says this uh, listener. Uh, and I, I don't know what are the rules and regulations around spreading slurry. Do you have to check and see if there's going to be a downpour of rain in the coming 24 hours? I I, I really don't know, but I do know from the farmer's point of view, whenever we bring up about foul-smelling slurry... We have the farmers on straightaway saying, look, if we could have it smelling of roses, we would, and we have to get rid of it. We have to spread it as well. So it's like damned if we do, damned if we don't. Hi, Patricia. In relation to septic tank inspections, I would like to ask the council where did the sewage go from Mallow Town when the river was in flood? Apparently the tanks were filled up and then it was opened up and left down the river. They have the neck to go into Rural Ireland and inspect tanks, putting more cost on us, the people who live in Rural Ireland. I would prefer if you withheld my details, uh, please thanking you. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862. 103.103. 103, 103. The C103 Cork Diary.
0: With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie.
5: Ballinhasic Community Development Association, they're holding a social dance in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic. It's on tonight. Music is by Michael Sexton. Dancing is from 9.30 to 12.30. Admission 10 euro does include teas. Mill Street Athletic Club are hosting the annual Willie Neenan Five Mile Memorial road race uh, tonight. The walk starts at 5.30. Sorry, the walk starts at 7.30 and the race then is at 8.15. There will be refreshments afterwards in the GAA Hall. Bingo is on in Mallow GAA Complex tonight. That's at 8.15. They've got a jackpot of €1,700. All proceeds will go to the running of the juvenile and senior teams and the upgrade of the pitches kildare bingo will not be held tonight as the festival is taking place this weekend mike denver will be taking to the stage tonight tickets are still available and the Mallow Women's Shed, they were formerly known as Loose Women, they will hold an afternoon tea session this Sunday in the Mercy Centre in Mallow. It's to raise funds to help and support the workers in the Kayla Family Resource Centre by way of thanking them for all the help they've given to the community. Afternoon tea. will have lots of lovely home baking, etc. Tables of six, just 10 euro per person, and you please ask to support.
4: Court today on C103.
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie.
5: And some of your texts coming in actually when I mentioned that the pandemic pon- bonus when Jim was saying that some of his fellow workers have received the pandemic bonus and others haven't which is causing real frustration, almost resent as well. <laughs> I take it amongst the work- workforce. Got a flurry of texts in from uh, people saying also healthcare workers still haven't received their bonuses yet. I think, I know the last time I checked the figures, I think it was somewhere around a third of workers had received it and I don't, I can't honestly hand on heart say what is the delay? They've identified to the healthcare workers why they're not paying it out. I don't. I really don't know. Uh, Marion says, "Tricia, will you mention that the Middleton GAA bingo is on as usual this evening? Plus, they've got dancing to the Dennehy family uh, tomorrow night. That's at nine fifteen. On prices going up all over the place. Mary says our local hotel charges twenty seven euro for monkfish. That is insane." takeaway and wine at home for us at the moment. And then somebody else wants to put this out and get the views of others And wedding receptions, have they gone very expensive? Is €120 per guest considered a good price now? If this is correct, gone are the days of giving a €200 wedding gift. So we need somebody who has recently booked their wedding or about to have their wedding this summer. Is it gone to €120 per guest to sit down and join you at your wedding dinner, I don't know what the going rate for it is. I do know we had somebody on to us a couple of weeks ago who was going to a wedding and was a bit undecided how much to give. She was somebody who was going on her own as a wedding guest. She did; she wasn't bringing a plus one uh, with her, and uh, she was was thinking would a hundred euro be enough. Going on her own, and she'd been talking with other friends. There was other singles going to this particular wedding, and they were all saying that you would have to give a single person would have to give at least hundred and fifty euro. And to the knock-on effect is if you're going as a couple, you'd have to give three hundred euro as a wedding present. And if it's hundred and twenty euro per guest, I can kind of understand why people are giving more in the wedding cards. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Now finer preparations are being made to bork equive. And the countdown is on to tonight's concert by Sir Elton John, the Rocket Man. Is of course on his worldwide tour, and it is part of his iconic farewell, Yellow Brick Road. This is his final tour, and tonight you have an opportunity to see him for the last time live here in Cork. Now we sent our news reporter, Mairead Touik. we asked her to pay a visit to Porky Creve to see how the preparations were going
3: over 50% of the people coming here are from Cork, or County Cork, we're even letting some people in from Dublin as well. But just looking at the range of uh, of interest, there are people from Dubai, Estonia, France, uh, Great Britain, Germany, Israel, Latvia, Mexico, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Romania, Russia, Singapore, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan, and the USA.
1: Event coordinator Jim Clark outlining ticket sales for this evening's concert. Elton John takes to the stage at Parky Cueve at 8 pm, and there is no support act. Gig goers are urged to be prepared for all weather conditions.
3: No umbrellas will be allowed into the stadium, so a little plastic Mac would be a very good idea just to stuff it in the, uh, the handbag or whatever. No more than A4 size, please, uh, so that uh, you, people can whiz in through the security and get to their seats uh, fairly quickly and easily. The show will start at eight o'clock on the the dot. Elton is very uh, punctual in things that he does, very well organized. So the the show will start at eight o'clock. The doors are open at six o'clock. And while we don't want any queuing on the streets, we would like people to arrive as early as possible. And we would also like people to arrive by public transport.
1: Gates open at 6 p.m. Patrons are asked to respect the privacy and interests of the local community around the venue, which is situated in a residential area. Inspector James Hallahan says road closures will be in place.
10: We're very impressed with how people have behaved at concerts uh, across city, the Cork city over the last uh, couple of months, and we want that to continue. We have uh, changed the traffic management plan slightly uh, from edge Sheeran because. Again, the gates are opening that bit later. From the Monaghan Road and Centre Park roundabouts, we will have a full closure in at 5 o'clock. That's slightly later than Ed Sheeran concerts. That, again, is due to the fact that the gates will open at 6 o'clock and we want to be very fair to the businesses in the area. We will have our inner cordon in place at 2 o'clock And again, that will be respectful to the needs of uh, some of the businesses in the area and also the residents.
1: Concertgoers are asked to park in the city centre or use public transport.
10: There is no parking down here. Uh, There's no point people trying to come down here to get parking. It's full stop. There is no parking uh, unless you have a ticket for parking in the area. So we would ask people to avail parking facilities in the city centre and walk down to the venue. It's a lovely walk down. Uh, especially coming down to a concert you have the marina market you've other uh, places around the place that you know you can get into the atmosphere of it as well so we would ask people to walk down to the venue and often enough uh, when they are leaving the venue that they do so in a a peaceful, quiet manner.
1: Elton John's performance comes after two Ed Sheeran gigs and ahead of Westlife next month. Sinead O'Keefe is commercial director at Parky Equif. This concert seems to
4: be bringing more of an international and around Ireland focus because obviously Ed was doing more gigs in Ireland itself than, than Elton John is. And then, yeah, we look forward to having Westlife, which seems like it's never going to happen with having been postponed twice but look it's going to be bigger and better as a result I think and there's a real appetite for events whether they're sporting or um, conferences or indeed concerts at the moment people are just really really excited to meet face to face and Not be worried um, in order to do so.
1: More than 30,000 fans will descend on the venue later. Helen Murphy of Cork Business Association is encouraging people to soak up the atmosphere in the city centre before making their way to the concert. There's been a fantastic buzz, and the city is really ready for that kind of lift now. You know, you've got all the outdoor dining spaces on Princess Street, Caroline Street, the new ones on
4: Beasley Street and even up as far as the VQ in McCurtain Street and so on.
8: So we'd like to say to people that are going to the concert, come into town for the afternoon grab a bite to eat in you know, the mini restaurants and bars that are there
1: and have a drink in the hotels. There's going to be lots of choice and lots of buzz. Samantha Stewart, Deputy General Manager at the Mulderin Hotel on South Mall, says there's great excitement for the gig. Everyone's attitude is so great and everyone's so positive and upbeat. And it makes working as well through it so much easier because everyone's so, so happy just to see some sort of normality coming back and having such so many people coming around the city
5: as well. It's lovely to see. And thanks to our Maraid uh, two week for that special report on Elton John, the final, final concert tour by Elton John and don't forget we're throwing the biggest pre-party on Leeside to celebrate Elton John coming to town. Be with C103 on the boardwalk at Tequila Jacks. We're there from four o'clock this afternoon and we're bringing the vibe for Elton John live. Our own Ken Tobin from The Breakfast Show will be there along with the C103 street fleet and they'll have freebies and nice things up for grabs. So that's Tequila Jacks if you're heading to Elton John. This evening, pop into Tito Jacks, the only place to be in Cork City before you, stay, before you head off to see Elton live at uh, Porky Grieve. As I say, we're there from 4 with C103. And everybody going to the concert tonight, we hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful evening out. From Oira Gatta, texting to say, From Oira is back this Sunday. They'll have 175 races. They'll start at 8am in the morning and it runs through until 6 in the evening. It's described as a great free family event and the Formoy Concert Band will do a recital at three in Ash Key, which will be closed to uh, traffic but the car parks will be available good luck to everybody involved there hi Patricia with the high cost of living and people talking about prices going up all over the pri- uh, all over the place this listener says where's all the money coming from we've just come out of the worst three years due to COVID-19 and we've been hit on all sides all those in charge seem to be so distant From the rest of us, we've high bills, high shopping. When are we ever going to get a break? And actually, thank you for that. On the cost of coal, you know, we were talking about somebody going to get their coal this morning and it went from €25 a bag to €36 a bag. That's a hefty, hefty increase. Eddie in Maham said he was chatting with a supplier last week who told him that coal is going to go up by €100 per tonne. In the next four weeks. So if your coal has already increased and if that increase comes in, the supplier is going to have no choice but to pass that on. So coal is going to get even more expensive on weddings and wedding presents and how much should you put in the card? <laughs> this, this this, this I predict, it. just with the cost of living gone so high at the moment, and everybody knows that people are struggling, if you're invited to a wedding, I suggest that you just give a card and you write on it that the your present to the couple is your presence at the actual uh, wedding. Good luck with that 0818 103, 103 and on tipping. This is from B in West Cork to say, I always leave a tip for housekeeping staff. Well done. Recently I was in Spain and I gave the lady who was cleaning the room 10 euro. She nearly hugged me. SB in West Cork which leads me to believe that that poor oil cleaner in Spain wasn't used to getting a tip if that was her reaction well done and then on the spreading of slurry and somebody complaining about the foul smelling slurry and how it rained there was a downpour the next day and the listener reckoned it all just ran off into the rivers and streams and what are the Environmental Protection Agency doing about that And then I was trying to do my best to defend the farmers because it's kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Uh, They have to get rid of the slurry, and until somebody can come up with, with rose, rose smell, the smell of roses from slurry. We just have to put up with it. And if you live in a rural area, it's one of the downsides to living in rural areas. Others say it's a good, fine, healthy smell. Christy is in Temple at Glanton. Thanks for your text. Uh, It says, hi, Patricia. The spreading of slurry really is a catch-22 situation for farmers. They need to get it spread. What else can they do with it? And it does need to rain soon after spreading. Otherwise, it'll burn the grass without moisture. It's just unfortunate there has been downpours recently and that was never part of the farmer's plan when they went out to spread the slurry. Thank you for that. By WhatsApp, Chris Christy, to 0862 103 103. OK, going to take a break. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us with some suggestions for movies to watch this weekend.
4: Court Today on
5: C103.
0: With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they Walk the Walk CMIG.ie
4: This is the Cork Today Replay on C103 It's
0: Friday afternoon Mark
5: Malone our movie reviewer uh, joins us Good afternoon to you Mark Hi Patricia uh, You're very welcome Okay Two movies for us Everything Everywhere All at Once and the second movie uh, is Sonic the Hedgehog 2 Let's take a trailer though from that first movie Everything Everywhere All at Once A bit of a mouthful of a title for a movie
10: Mom just wait no time to wait very busy
3: across the multiverse i've seen thousands of Evelyns. if you can imagine it somewhere out there it
4: exists
10: the universe is bigger than you realize do you think this is funny
6: There's
10: no going back. Of all the places I could be, I just thought to be here with you.
5: Okay, I'm assuming here we're looking at uh, sci-fi, but a comedy sci-fi, is it? <laughs>
7: Yes, uh, comedy, sci-fi, kind of kung fu movie, kind of, uh, because this was actually set to star uh, Jackie Chan at one stage. Uh, They wrote it for Jackie, but uh, he couldn't do it. So instead they decided, well, we'll we'll switch the sex of the the main character. And uh, they brought in Michelle Yeoh, which thankfully... Uh, was a very, very good idea because, uh, as we've seen in Crouching Tiger and movies like that, we know that she can do that kind of kung fu thing. This is a bit of a mix of everything. I mean, it's extraordinarily complicated, but in a really, really good way. I mean, I I bemoan the fact every week that, you know, you've got uh, very intelligent people making very dumb movies and saying, look, we don't care. We know it doesn't make any sense. but we're going to put it on screen anyway. Here we have very intelligent people. Making a very intelligent film. I mean, you have to have your wits uh, upon you all the time because it is complicated, and there are times when you could very, very well kind of be confused as uh, to what's going on. Uh, the film is in three different parts: everything, everywhere, and all at once. Uh, ah, and this is made by. I, I was trying to work is,
5: out the name of the uh, what was the reason for the lengthy title. Okay, <laughs> so everything is one section, everywhere, and then all at once. Exactly. Okay.
7: And um, and this is made by. Um, a pair of film directors who call themselves Daniels it's Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinhardt. and uh, it was they who made that film uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Daniel Ratcliffe. do you remember Swiss Army Man I don't remember if I re- uh, reviewed, reviewed it, it. Yeah,
5: um, yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know if I saw it but I know the movie you're talking about
7: yeah, that was the film where Daniel uh, Radcliffe uh, was a corpse who yeah. produced a lot of wind. Yeah. It was um, it was a very odd, strange film. Well, this is the same filmmakers uh, here um, as well. As you know, I, the last time I think uh, I reviewed. Um, uh, a i think it was was it was it uh, dr strange i didn't like the fact that uh, marvel have now opened the door to the multiverse where basically they can kill off a character and then bring a character the same character back again but from a different universe and say so, well look you know what i mean it, it's the same character but from a different kind of place and time in our continuum uh well what they've done here is but they've done they've opened the multiverse as well but they've done it in a really really clever clever way we meet um uh, the character of Michelle Yeoh. Uh, she's in a happy, an unhappy uh, marriage. She is running a laundrette. She's going to be audited by the uh, American government. She's not getting on well with her father. She's got a troubled relationship with him. She's got a troubled relationship as well with her daughter. Uh, she sees her her husband as just being this kind of very weak, kind of weak-willed man who um, who isn't particularly interested in being kind of successful, and just sees him as being weak because of that. They're in a lift one day on their way to be audited by the government when he certainly changes and he becomes somebody else and the, the same image but he says to her look we are in a world that you don't understand and and don't realize we are in a multiverse world the multiverse is under uh, threat and we need you to save us. And of course, she's like, well, how can I do that? I'm, I'm nobody, um, you know. And so what? then then basically he's got to then teach her constantly that she can learn from herself and she can learn from all the different multiverses to battle this this evil uh, that is threatening the, um, the, the the multiverse. And they do it in such an incredibly smart, clever way. I mean, to be able to switch between all the multiverses and to do it and to make a kind of a lucid kind of film that kind of makes... Sense so that the narrative makes sense just goes to show just how inc- incredibly clever uh, these guys are. The film looks beautiful. It's incredibly inventive. It's a, it's ex- the, the editing, especially, I think, is extraordinary. There's one scene, for example, where she goes through practically about fifty different multiverses where she is a completely different person. And of course, for that, she had to pose in fifty different poses and fifty different outfits to you know to match that scene. And it's an incredible scene. It's also incredibly funny. I mean, there are times that I just laughed loud it's also incredibly emotional as well there's a beautiful scene where they go to herself and her daughter go to a multiverse where they're basically rocks because in that multiverse humans don't exist they exist as rocks and it's a beautiful it's it's funny and it's incredibly emotional at the same time and that's what the film really deep down is about it's about family it's about relationships and trying to heal kind of fractured relationships and thankfully you know I mean as I say it was written for Jackie Chan and a lot of the kind of fight scenes are martial arts fight scenes And they are very much kind of done in a very comedic way, which is very, very much like Jackie Chan would have done. Um, And so there's a lot of that, yes. Uh, There's also a lot of references to other films as well. There's a scene, for example, where um, a chef under his hat has a raccoon who pulls his hair to help him cooked meals does that sound familiar to you <laughs> it's ratatouille yeah ratatouille. You know? <laughs> exactly and there's references to that 2001 a space odyssey it obviously owes a huge debt to to the matrix movies and so you've got all of this all in this uh, you know extraordinary piece of filmmaking it's two hours, 20 minutes long, which is way too long. At one stage after the second part, I actually thought it was kind of over. I thought, OK, that's the film is over. But there was another hour left to go. And for me, it was too long. And that last hour is basically just the same scene. And I, I just kind of drawn out. And I found that a little bit tiresome after a while. But at the same time, I was just being kind of blown away by the imagery and just how smart, clever and and really funny this is.
5: It sounds like something that you really need to concentrate on, is it?
7: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because otherwise you could get very, very confused because there are times when you're trying to figure out, okay, uh, in which multiverse character is she now? And that can be very, very confusing. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in the film. You'd hardly recognize her. Uh, she, too, is absolutely terrific in the film. Also in the film is Kihe Kwan, who was in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He was the little boy in it. And Who's now he a looks grown exactly. Man. Say again? Who's now obviously a grown man. He's obviously a grown man, but he yeah. looks exactly like 10 year old. The 10-year-old boy, from that, you keep expecting to go, Dr. Jones. Yeah. Um, but, and he's terrific in the film. I mean, he's not a martial arts expert, unlike Michelle Yeoh. But there is a fight scene where he kind of fights people off with this kind of fanny pack that he has. And it's really funny. And he does really, really well. Everybody's great in it. Um, it the visuals are terrific. It's beautifully directed. It's just too long. That's the only thing. But boy, it's a visual delight. And I would certainly recommend it.
5: Okay. Everything, everywhere, all at once, Mark it out of 10.
7: It will be 10 if it wasn't so long, so I'll give it a 9. 9,
5: the one coming off just because of the length of the movie. Okay, your second one is Sonic the Hedgehog 2.
7: Yeah, and again, it's too long. It's it's two hours, which is crazy long, I think, for a, what is basically a kid's movie. Um, I really liked the first film. I, I gave it a very good review. I thought it was terrific. Again, like the, the the film I just mentioned, I thought it was very inventive and very funny. Of course, initially, when um, the face of for the first film, Sonic was released... Um, The fans went crazy because they said, look, his face was too kind of human-looking, his teeth were too human-like. So they went back and they spent a huge amount of money, redesigned Sonic and got the face right. And they got the first film right because I thought it was really, really funny and entertaining. I thought it was great. It was great to see once again Jim Carrey again kind of gurning to the cameras because he had been taking himself so seriously over the last few years and I thought he was great. So at the end of the first film, he ended up on the mushroom planet. At the start of the, uh, this film, we we see him. He's still there, trying to make coffee out of mushrooms and uh, not succeeding. It's a very very funny scene, and he wants to try and get back to Earth to try and uh, and and go after his arch enemy, of course Sonic. Uh, there he bumps into um, Knuckles. Uh, voiced here by Idris Elba, uh, they then come to Earth, and what they then Knuckles, what Knuckles is after though, which then uh, piques the interest of Jim Carrey, is they're looking for this Emerald, which has the power to destroy civilizations. So therefore, as the bad guy, Jim Carrey is kind of interesting. We've also got another character called Tails, who has two tails, and because it's got two tails, uh, they can spin around, and Tails can fly. So Tails teams up with Sonic to go into battle uh, against um, Jim Carrey and uh, and interselva um also coming back for the this film as well as James Marsden who's an actor I, I really like and i thought he was terrific in the first film here he's kind of pushed very much kind of to the side and you know i thought i thought the opening was okay i thought there's a lovely sequence where um sonic um is getting older and uh, he feels as though James Marsden and his wife are beginning to kind of Mollycoddle him a bit. So he sends them off to Hawaii and he just tears the house apart. And that's a very, very funny sequence. Um, but from then on, it's very complicated. I didn't think it was anywhere near having the level of sweetness of the first film. I thought Sonic was a little bit kind of more kind of aggressive, a little kind of sarkier in this film than he was in the first film. And again, for two hours, I think, again, an hour and a half in, I I was finding it difficult. And the last half hour I thought was difficult because there's, there was lots happening. There was there's was a lot of action, but none of it seemed to kind of make any sense. And there wasn't that same kind of warm kind of feeling. It's a bit like the Back to the Future films for me, the first and the second. The second is, te- is a technical masterpiece, but it hasn't got the same level of sweetness the as first, the
5: first film. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't.
7: There's a horrible sense of kind of nastiness here. And the same with this, actually. Uh, not too much in the way. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. And there's a couple of rude jokes in there as well, by the way, uh, which kind of surprised me as well. Um, but yeah, nowhere near as, first, as good as the first film. What's, what's uh, but the will- age
5: group for these Sonic movies?
7: Oh, well, it's PG. I mean, it's oh, fine. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Right, when, okay. I, when I say the jokes are a bit rude, I mean you know they're kids' jokes. Yeah. Um, okay. But at the same time, yeah, it's nowhere near as good as the first film. It was a disappointment to me because considering how much of the first film I really did enjoy, um, but I'd still look if you want to bring the kids to something. But for two hours, I think by the time you get to maybe an hour and fifteen in, the kids might be looking for some ice cream. Yeah. To be honest,
5: if you find it hard to keep them in the seats, okay. Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> two, market out of ten. Um, i give it six. Six okay thanks for that Mark listen have a lovely week and we'll talk to you next Friday um, good afternoon to you that is Mark Malone our movie uh, reviewer I've been talking about slurry and the spreading of slurry Mike has just contacted me by uh, text to say interesting that you're talking about slurry spreading um, today because it's the job I'm doing at the moment unfortunately I've been kicked out of the house for my dinner I'm forced to eat my dinner sitting in the shed. That's where I leave you. Thanks to John Paul. Eric with you for the afternoon. Talk to you
4: Monday. 10. On today on C103.
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See MIG.ie.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.